The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Jill Conrath, author of More Sales, Less Time, Surprisingly Simple Strategies for Today's Crazy Busy Sellers, and you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, which was named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's actually working in modern marketing. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything discussed in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. Also, if you're listening to the show right now, and you're not driving or operating dangerous machinery, please send me a tweet and tell me where in the world you're listening from. My Twitter handle is at Marketing Book. Today we're joined by Jill Conrath, and we're going to talk about her new book, More Sales, Less Time, Surprisingly Simple Strategies for Today's Crazy Busy Sellers. Jill Conrath is a globally recognized sales strategist and the best-selling author of three other books, Agile Selling, Get up to speed quickly in today's ever-changing sales world. Snap selling, speed up sales and win more business with today's frazzled customers and selling to big companies. After college, Jill began her career as a high school teacher. Later, wanting to leave teaching, she got a job in sales at Xerox where she qualified multiple times for President's Club. In technology sales, she was the international rookie of the year. Later, as a consultant to Fortune 1000 clients, she helped quickly drive new product sales, driving millions in revenue. Today, Jill is at the forefront of what it takes to be successful in an ever-evolving business environment. Her fresh strategies have been featured in Forbes, Fortune, ABC News, Fox, Bloomberg, The New York Times, and finally the Marketing Book Podcast. And on page 109 of her new book, she describes herself as a, quote, highly practical sort of person, not a fruitcake. Jill, congratulations on more sales, less time, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thanks for having me. And and you had to bring that out, that I'm not a fruitcake, huh? Well, I, I just, I just <laughs> when you said that, I thought, there's an author that's really talking to me. <laughs> she- oh. <laughs> And uh, yeah, it was taken a little out of context, but it was also very funny. And I just saw that and I thought, okay, okay, that's great. You know, it's just kind of bearing her soul. But, you know, I should also add that in this book, it's like you go on this hero's journey where you describe, look, these were all the problems I had as a salesperson, as an executive. And as you you said, I'm just going to be my own human guinea pig. I'm going to just go through and see what I find. It was uh, it was very believable. So you really kind of poured your, your your heart and soul out there to to the reader and kind of took us on a journey. Yes, I I had a choice. I could write as an expert, which I'm not on this topic. I mean, I am a learner, a fellow sufferer of, you know, not enough time. And it just felt like it was really important to me to share the journey 
to let people know that I'm not talking down at them. I am struggling with the same issues that they're struggling with in terms of how do you get all this work done in a day when it feels like you're working nonstop from the moment you get up until, you know, you shut down at whatever time you go to bed. I mean, that's the life I was living. It's life so many people are living, and it's exhausting. It is. It is. Let me just quote from one excerpt at the very beginning of the book. You said, I decided to turn myself into a human guinea pig to figure out how to stop fighting the clock and start winning again in my career. This book outlines my quest and all of the strategies and tools that I picked up or developed on that journey to becoming a more productive seller with the ultimate aim of selling more in less time. It's my goal to help solve your problems with crazy busyness as well, without all of the hardship. Jill, can you tell us about what role Matt played in the development of this book? Well, Matt was somebody who approached me after I'd given a big speech, and, and I had and been talking about selling to crazy, busy buyers, which is what snap selling is all about. And he came up to me and just said, Jill, you know, you got to help me. I'm, I'm, I'm like overwhelmed. I'm, I'm doing the best I can, but there's, I'm working from dusk to dawn. I'm frazzled. I, my quota's going up. You know, what kind of, how can you help me? And I honestly looked at him and, and said, I have no idea. I am just, I am feeling the exact same way that you're feeling. So Matt nagged at me for, for a long time. I mean, he became a voice in my head that said, you know, I'm having all these problems. I'm overwhelmed. I'm frustrated. I'm working as hard as I can. And there were a million Matts after that. I mean, that was like the, the first time, but Matts kept coming to me in different names, you know, and Tom, Dick and Harry and Susie and Sally. And they kept coming at me saying, I'm crazy busy. I'm crazy busy. And I kept throwing up my hands and saying, I don't know what to do. I am not a time management guru. I am a fellow sufferer. So finally, I decided that it was time to do something for myself. But also my, my the way I live is I actually like problems. I like sales challenges. I like any kind of challenge. I don't like them when they happen to me, but I do like to solve them. So I literally said, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to figure this beast out because I'm not happy. And if I can figure it out, then I can share it with other people and help the maths of this world. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and Conrath Nation is counting on you. <laughs> yeah, well, like one problem from another, you know, that's my life. <laughs> that's that's right. Seriously. See that's what, what you've gotten yourself into? Problem. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Well, you've written, as I mentioned, three other highly acclaimed books. Why do you think this is the most important book you've written so far? Because, first of all, this is something that we are all dealing with, and in many cases, we don't know. And I shouldn't say all of us. There are like 10% of the population who are like really totally disciplined and can get up every morning and, you know, do exactly what they're supposed to be doing. And I pretty yeah, much- Yeah, and I don't like those people. No, I hate kidding. them. No, I hate them. I mean, they are not a good role model for me because I don't have the discipline that they do. And I, and I seriously don't. You know, I feel like I'm a normal human being that's just trying to do my best during the course of a day. But this issue that we're dealing with grown on us sneakily. It's kind of snuck up on us. It's really insidious. And we have no idea that we're caught in this web of distraction that is literally hijacking our best thinking and causing us to spread us eight hours, six hours of work into 14, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you talked about the, the brain in the book, and you said that it's the, the fight or flight center of our brain yeah. is constantly searching for new items in our environment, making us targets for digital distractions. Every time it finds one, dopamine, uh, the pleasure-inducing hormone, is released. 
Yes. You know, let me just say that for me, understanding brain science was really fundamental for finding a solution that worked for me. And I had felt that there was something wrong with me, that I lacked the willpower. Remember, I told you I hate the disciplined people. Um, <laughs> well, you know, I don't, we, we don't willpower, really hate them. Don't. We just don't like them trying to take the moral high ground. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. That's what they do. I mean, it's like, well, if you just work like me, you know, and I'm sorry. I'm just not like that, you know. So I felt guilty all this time, like this heavy burden of guilt that I was not able to control my behaviors and to actually learn that my brain has been designed to search for new things. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's literally out there looking. And and when we get on the computer, the amygdala, that flight and fight old part of our brain, jumps to the forefront and literally says, hey, Jill, let me take charge of this. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm the one who's out there looking. And so, you know, that's shiny ob- object syndrome. It's, you know, oh, here's a uh, interesting link. I think I'll go down that rabbit hole. Or, oh, I think I've got a few seconds. I'll go just check Facebook to see if anything's new out there. You know, I mean, and, and so we get sucked into this, this uh, pool of stuff that is not what we even intended to do. And suddenly we find ourselves, you know, like a half an hour later, looking at 12 celebrities who had plastic surgery, how they look before and now. Now, you know, and there I am looking at this going, oh, my God, how did I get here? Yeah, but Jill, how can you not look at that? I know. <laughs> I know. Or the cat videos. Come on. The cat videos. And I do those well because I have a cat and I'm, I'm just, you know, I love doing that kind of stuff. And suddenly you're there and you have lost a half an hour of your day going down this rabbit hole that you had no intention of doing. You were just going to check one email. What is the challenge that you want the reader to accept? I want the reader to accept that that it doesn't have to be this way, that the way they're working isn't working, and, and they can change the way they work in order to create the life that they want. And that's what most people don't know. They just feel at loss, like, I don't know how I can work any hard. But the reality is they can change how they work so things are different, better. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, full disclosure, it's already had an effect on me since I've read it. And one of the things you talk about in the book, which is again so helpful, is where you talk about how just try little experiments. Don't try and be the perfect person with the perfect behaviors tomorrow. Just try a few little things, test them out, just like you did. And you tested some things that didn't work. Then you're able to bring forward the things that that did work. Yeah. Just one little, yeah, one little example for me is I was like, uh, I don't know, probably a lot of the folks listening to this, where you wake up and I would have to turn the fo- the alarm off on my iPhone, and then I would go ahead and start checking things. <laughs> it's in your hand. It matches. Well, yeah. Computer. Yeah. And um, and of course, you, you talk about Nir Eyal in the book where he wrote the hooked the. Yes. Uh, the book about habit forming products. And he was actually on the, on the, on this podcast. Mm-hmm. I'll put a link to his, um, interview and in, on the yeah. show notes. But, um, he, he explains what, you know, uh, the, that iPhone and the Facebook people, they know exactly what they're doing. They, they are oh. addicted. So like just for me, for instance, what I'm now doing, and it's, I can't believe what, how dramatic the difference is. I won't look at, I'll look at the weather app and maybe, uh, turn on a podcast to listen to it while I'm working out or whatever. But otherwise, I don't look at anything until I get to the office. Like email. Doesn't that feel like a relief? I can't believe what a big difference it made. Yeah. I, and I actually got out of bed 
sometimes yeah. I'd sit there just looking at it. It's like, so these tiny little things that you describe are, they really can have a big impact. And I think the, the big message for the listener is just, just try a few of these things. Yeah. What, but let's, let's, let's get to salespeople. And, you know, honestly, Jill, just a little secret here. The first half of this book isn't really, doesn't apply exclusively to salespeople. I mean, oh it's, no! <laughs> it's, it's, it's it applies to anybody, any any human being. If if there's any listening, yes, yes. Well, I do. I have one or two listeners. So, <laughs> but let's let's review. What are some of the biggest time wasters for salespeople? Well, for let me just say for anybody. Okay, I mean, literally, email is the suck of all sucks, mm-hmm. and salespeople live in email, and and they have to because it's where they're you know, it's how they contact and, and, and they're constantly waiting for messages to come in. So that's probably the biggest time suck. And then they get into LinkedIn and then they go down more rabbit holes. So to me, that's the biggest time suck. People are actually responding to emails. I mean, this is just across the board and not salespeople, but people are actually taking action on emails coming into their inbox. 72% of people take action within six or seven seconds, mm-hmm. which means it's interrupting everything else we're doing. So say we're trying to work on something to get it done and we see, bing, you know, or, oh, look, there's a new, you know, whatever it's a bing or it's a little thing flashing at you, you got a new message and we're we're so tempted to leave. And so we're constantly task switching, which is probably the worst thing that we can do because again, if you go into brain science, every time we switch tasks, it slows us down mm-hmm. and it makes us harder and it can extend our workday by 20 to 30% just by switching from here to there. And yet we are creating a constant interruption in everything we do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Living that way. And you know what I, I didn't like about it? And here, this is kind of funny because most people don't recognize this, but I, because I have to focus for writing and because I have to focus for, you know, creating some of the things I do, I literally noticed the impact it was having on my, on the quality of my thinking, that I was struggling much harder to come up with good thoughts and good strategies and better ways of saying things. And and for the marketers who are listening to this and everybody else, the reality is, is this constant bouncing is impacting the quality of your thinking. If you're trying to analyze something to figure out the best strategy or the best approach, if you're trying to solve a problem, you're extending the length of the time it takes to solve the problem, and you're coming up actually with less creative solutions because your brain is tired and worn out from all the task switching, and it goes into its you know into its memory bank and it pulls something out and goes here try this you've done this before you know that'll work mm-hmm. as opposed to fun- finding something really good. I mean this to me is like really crucial in a world where you know is for salespeople or for marketers your success is dependent on the quality of the thinking that you bring to the table. Mm-hmm. I had forgotten. That that takes the brain a certain amount of time. I don't know how many minutes between a task when you've become distracted. So it's like very slow gear shifting to to get back in place. And one of the things you talked about, and I had heard of, and then after reading this, I'm I'm now you know part of this (laughs) time wasters AA group here, where (laughs) I'm opening the email twice a day. Now I think you said do it. You do it three times, but. I'm only opening it up two times a day, and suddenly it's like not hearing that annoying uh, ringing yes. <laughs> in yeah. your ear. You know, 
I think people have no idea how much it's distracting them because they can't not take pay attention to it. I know that salespeople need to check it more frequently just because by the very nature of their job. And so when I'm talking to people in sales, I'm literally saying, you know, just shut it off for a half an hour, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. just a half an hour. Give yourself a half an hour to do something without being interrupted. Right. But be more purposeful about it, like open it up to respond and then and then try to to shut it down it's just like having a radio on in the background that's that's uh, bothering you and the other thing you talked about that was again I'm already trying this and doing it which is you you there were two things one of them was the pomodoro technique and the other one was the uh, try to do something you're only going to be able to do something for an hour and a half can you can you talk about those yeah let me just talk about the pomodoro cuz i think that's probably one of the simplest things that people can um, utilized tomorrow. And it's a, a strategy that comes out of Italy. Pomodoro stands for, it, it, it's Italian for tomato. And that's because the guy who invented it had a tomato timer. You know, he'd set the timer for a certain time and his timer was a tomato. But all the Pomodoro does is it helps you overcome the inertia of getting started. Mm-hmm. And every one of us has something we need to get to that we don't want to do. You know, or it's, we look at it and go, oh God, I don't even know where to start or, or I need to make prospecting calls and God, I hate picking up the phone, you know, mm-hmm. or, I Did mean, everybody hear that? Even Jill Conrath hates picking up the phone. Hey, I didn't say that. No, I think it's, 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 you know, you, you enter into the world of doing something that you're not going to get great, you know, kudos and you may get, you know, spend all this time prepping and they don't answer and, you know, so it's not something that people love. I don't sit and drool over prospecting. Um, But the reality is we have to get started. And when the brain looks at these tasks that we're trying to avoid because of the complexity of the task, the difficulty, you know, whatever it is, or just the distastefulness of the task, but it still has to get done, the brain the brain automatically goes to the worst part of the task, goes, oh, God, Jill, you're not going to be able to handle this, or oh, God, Jill, nobody's going to be at their desk, you know, why are you doing this? And so your brain picks up the worst part and, and actually says, you don't want to do this. Why don't you go check email? That's easier. And then you're productive. You know, so it literally diverts us into a new direction. So the Pomodoro helps you do this. All you do with the Pomodoro technique is you say, okay, I'm going to do Pomodoro right now. You set this timer and there's an app for that too. You set your timer. It's free. Yeah. For for, For 25 minutes. And, and you get to work. Your only job is to work for the 25 minutes. And every one of us has the capacity to work for 25 minutes. And what happens is the first two to three minutes are, are painful because we've forced ourselves into doing something that we didn't want to do. Um, but once we get past that initial, I hate this, uh, we get in a flow. At the end of 25 minutes, the timer goes off. And we are required at that point to take a five-minute break, to get up, move away from our computer, do something different. Now, this refreshes our brain, gets us, you know, pulls us back, helps us see the bigger picture a little bit more. And then we come back and do another Pomodoro. And we can do up to three of them um, before we take a longer break. And what we do is we can condense so much work into a short period of time. Just because we're working against the clock, it kind of, you know, it's like a game for us. Mm And we just keep on going. So, but what's crucial too is 25 minutes, take the break. 25 minutes, take the break. 25 minutes, take a longer break. Because our brain is a muscle. It cannot handle us sitting at our freaking computer or at our desk, forcing itself to work on something. It needs, it needs rest. It's so true. And after I've done it, it's amazing how it kickstarts things. And I'll look back and I go, holy cow, that. That only took 25 minutes, but for yes. me, the thing about the Pomodoro technique is that it 
brings to mind the the notion that the secret to getting ahead is getting started. If you can just get started, you're going to be amazed at the momentum uh, that you build up. And then the other one was you you talked about just trying to sprint like for an hour or an hour and a half doing something. Can you say a little bit yeah. more about that? Yeah, one of the things I found was a study out of the Jogium group um, out of Europe. And what they had done is they had studied the performance. Uh, they had studied how their top 10% of their employees worked, the ones who were the most productive. And they actually found that they, kind of across the board, they were working about 52 minutes and then they were taking a 17-minute break. And again, they were not sitting at their computer because research shows that if you sit at your computer and just check out your email then or you know, go onto one of your sites that you really like and are addicted to or you want to watch the, the films and the highlights of the, the latest game that you saw, that doesn't relax your brain. And these people literally got up from their desk, they socialized with their colleagues, they did exercise, they went for a little walk, and then they came back, worked for 52 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, sprint, mm-hmm. work, sprint, work, you know, sprint, break, sprint, break. And that's the way to capture the most uh, brain power that we have to get the most amount done. And by the way, the mo- reduces your stress the most. These people, most productive people weren't stressed out. Go mm-hmm. figure. Isn't that wild? Well, you talked about how you're actually working fewer hours. Yeah, that was my goal. I had to. That's crazy. But it worked. And you yes. sort of super concentrated the hours that you are working. Absolutely. And and one of the things I love to do, um, again, and this really is helpful to me, especially when I hit some stuck points. And I think, you know, all of us hit some stuck points, but I literally go out and take a walk. I mean, to me, walking is work. And I used to think, oh, I'd have to do my exercise during the evenings. But the answer is no. I oftentimes get two miles in during the day while I go out and ponder a problem and I get better quality thinking. I am more strategic. I am more creative. And I come back and I can get to work because my brain has figured out and found connections that I didn't know existed and and helped me create a better solution. Mm. So moving ahead, what is ADT? And I'm not referring to the home security company in the United States. (laughs) It's some. It's a term that that Ned Hollowell, Dr. Ned Hollowell, coined. He's uh, the author of Driven to Distraction, and it stands for attention deficit trait. Attention deficit trait, and it basically it talks about. I mean, he sees this with really successful people. You know, it's not something that is to be to be you know a curse, but it's really the fact that we're feeling like rushed all the time, and we're kind of distracted, and we're you know, hopping from task to task, trying to get things done. I mean, it's like we're in a frenzy all the time, but it's created by this online world that we live in and we're so caught up in it. And it literally, it's something that, I mean, when I read Driven to Distraction, I went, oh my God, he has nailed me. And 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 it was like really powerful in helping me realize I wasn't alone. I wasn't crazy. It was something that was happening. It was causing caused by this distracted world that we're living in. And to me, it was real powerful because it really helped me realize that something, you know, it wasn't just me. And I think that's something we all have. It wasn't just me and that there was something I could do about it. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about how people can begin to focus more on what matters most at work and, and why that's important? You, you mentioned that some activities contribute much more to success than others. Yeah, I think everybody has to say, you know, what what are the things that that really matter the most? And if you're in sales, you know, certainly prospecting or client interfacing work is really crucial. I I just read this morning that McKinsey showed that only 13% of of a salesperson's time, I think that was what it was, 
Only 13% was was spent on actual customer interfacing, you know, activities. Mm-hmm. But there's also time spent on prepping for those meetings and things that you're doing with customers. Um, so, you know, you have to say, where do I get the biggest bang for my buck? And for the marketers who are listening too, you have different activities and you have to identify what, what they are. Where should I be spending the bulk of my time? And then you need to plan your day around that kind of thing. And for me, even just one one really simple step that, that I tried that really, you know, just it took a few minutes that had a big effect was just before I, you know, logged onto my laptop in the morning, I would just sit, I would actually sit with it closed so I couldn't see anything, you know? <laughs> and I would just sit there and, and I'd sit quietly. And, and I, you know, some of the things I found is that mindfulness, you know, mm-hmm. meditation, mindfulness makes a difference. And But I, I'm not really good at that. I'm kind of, you know, more that I have that ADT thing going on. Like, I want to get in and get to work. Um, and I found that, you know, I tried doing things for like 20 minutes and I would get so distracted. It would feel like the longest time in the world and, and I was thinking I was probably going to go nuts. Then I thought, well, I'll set a timer and sit for five minutes. And even five minutes felt guilty. So finally, I just let, I relaxed myself and said, just sit, just sit quietly with your computer closed for a few minutes. And when you're ready, you can open it. But during that time, just, you know, be quiet. And before you open it, think, what are the top three things I want to do today? What are the top three things? And then, you know, what's the one thing that I really need to get done? And honestly, just taking that quiet time at the beginning of my day really made a difference. And then when I'd open up my computer, I would block time for that. And I'd say, okay, you know, here's what I've got scheduled. I'm going to, if this is my number one thing, I'm going to put it on my calendar because if I don't block it out, I won't get there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You talk about, can't remember the exact term, but it's like quieting or calming your brain. Yeah. That's mindfulness. That's what. Yeah. Um, and I'm the same way. It's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I, I gotta get, I gotta get to work here. But, um, yeah. <laughs> th- there's another one that's, um, <clears throat> you've, you've seeped into my brain here, my consciousness, and it's the as if strategy. Oh, and yes. I'm, I'm here to tell the listener, daggone it, it works. <laughs> Explain really? already, already. And I've, I've only read it within the last week, but I, <sighs> that tingling means it's working, Jill. Um, <laughs> but explain for the listener what you mean by the as-if strategy. Well, the as-if strategy, it's something that you don't have to do something. Your body your body follows what you, if you're pretending, your body actually does follow. And I know Amy Cuddy has done some research on that in terms of, you know, a power pose. And if you stand in a power pose, um, like a Wonder Woman or like an athlete who's just won a big thing, your body actually releases the chemicals that, that give you, um, it actually releases more testosterone. So you feel more confident and concurrently it releases the stress hormone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that kind of thing happens. But for me, what was really fascinating is I was really battling trying to be productive. And, and it was hard to maintain. Again, it goes back to willpower. I found out we're only allotted a certain amount of willpower every day. And I think I was using mine up way too early in the day fighting my addictions. <laughs> Good way to put it. Addictions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and literally, I'd be out of willpower, you know, and, and couldn't keep it. And it felt like I felt like I was fighting trying to be productive all the time. Remember, I told you I hate those people Mm -hmm. who can do it naturally. And then I heard about this study where these old men had to come in and act as if they were 20 years younger. Mm -hmm. And, And what happened 
by the with these guys by simply and they were compared to a group who just talked about what life was like 20 years ago and these guys had to act as if they were 20 years younger and what happened within just one week of acting as if they were 20 years younger these 70 80 year old guys who hadn't been in great shape and were you know needed a lot of help every aspect of their body improved and i heard that and i went oh my god oh my god this is like real here i am cuz i was i had started a game to, to help myself. I'd actually studied gaming and how to do gamification and had worked long and hard to create a game that I could earn points on to keep me focused on, on, on being productive. I mean, I was I'm pretty much a nerd. I wasn't going to do an online game, but I was really focused because I was fighting that willpower. So I thought maybe the game would help. But what I discovered in the, creating the game is I had to create an avatar for the game. Mm-hmm. And so I really thought hard about it because I didn't want to be like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That just didn't feel right to me. Although she and was I, an early inspiration for you. She was. Yes, she was. Because from there, I morphed, morphed into creating this wonderful avatar that I wanted to be called Jill the Time Master. Yes. Not the Time Slayer. No, not the time. And I actually thought about that, you know, as I'm moving. But I wanted to be the time master, and I kind of wanted to be quieter. And so, you know, on the days I was playing my game and acting as if I was time master, I'd walk in. I had this huge sign like I, I saw when I walked in my office that Jill, the time master. I'd stand up straighter, you know. I'd feel different. I'd sit down at my desk, and I would behave properly. I would do all the things that I thought that I, I knew that I should do, but had been fighting against. And I would do them almost effortlessly because Jill, the time master, was in charge. It was the strangest thing I ever happened. And then I didn't know that that was real. And I was like too embarrassed to tell anybody about it mm-hmm. because it was so weird. Well, but, <laughs> well, well yeah. But I mean, but the data. Yeah. But you explain in the book and it's like, well, call it what you want. It started working. It was working. It was working. And then I found the data that supported and said, no, this is real. Acting as if you're something literally changes things. And literally to stand up and to be Jill the Time Master was, was a way for me to physically alter who I was and to just sit down and to act as if I was a Time Master. Research shows that after two weeks, you start assuming these traits that you didn't even think you had. I mean, they start becoming, well... And I mean, you start thinking, well, I guess I am more productive, you know, than I thought I was, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that, just for the listener's benefit, there's a lot of things in the book where if you just try them a little bit, the next thing you're going to be saying is, like your humble host, what the heck? <laughs> this stuff yeah. works. I know. I know. It was really fun for me. I mean, I spent a year, you know, like I said, like you said, doing experiments, trying different things. I mean, the first thing I did is well, I- you had to be convinced. Before you could write about it. I did. Oh, yeah. I mean, I wasn't intending to write about this. You know, I just wanted to solve it first. I, I, don't, I don't think with the book in the end at first. I just think this is a problem. Mm-hmm. I got to solve this problem. You know, and yes, I had to get to the other side before I could write the book. But I did not expect my, my journey to take the turn it did with the Time Master. That was a real shock to me. I, I understand now why it worked. And I understand why it was so much why I had to learn the other stuff first, because I had to understand why, you know, what was behind all this stuff. And I had to understand how my brain was being hijacked and where I was going and how much it was costing me. There, there was a real big part of me that re- really needed to learn that. But, you know, then to find out that, because I was fighting my habits, to find out that acting as if I was a time master actually 
um, sent me around my habits. I didn't have to fight my bad habits. I was creating new ones. So it was really fascinating. And, and it removed the fight and made it, 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 made it effortless. Mm-hmm. I can move into time master mode as we speak. I'm not a time master every day, but I know how to become a time master anytime. Jill, do you think that a lot of people like you, like me, like the other 90% who, you know, have these challenges, it seems like it's easy for them to start to feel like maybe they're a bad person because yes. of some of these things. And and they shouldn't <laughs> feel that way. No, every you know, I've been talking about this now, you know, because I just announced the book and I've been talking to, you know, some of my friends about it too. And I've been, descri- I was describing my, my crazy busy existence and and how I was just like frazzled all the time and feeling twitchy and like, I better check, I better check. And thinking that I need to be online all the time because if I didn't, I'd be behind, you know. It's like, oh God, you know, in the grocery store line, um, everywhere. And, and they go, oh my God, that's how I feel too. Everybody feels that way and, and everybody thinks it's something wrong with them, you know, mm-hmm. like they just can't handle it. And yeah. it's not. It's like the way we're working is causing this. Yeah, and you know the thing that comes to mind is I remember once uh, Seth Godin in an interview was he talked a, he was talking a little about this and he was referring to the way our brain behaves with all these distractions. It's like we're uh, laboratory mice and we're getting the food pellet, one more food yeah. pellet, one more food pellet, one more hit of dopamine, and it's addictive. And there's so many more ways to to get it. Mm-hmm. Towards the end of the book, you do talk specifically about some sales things. And one thing I wanted to mention that I thought was a very refreshing, I'd like you to talk about it. And that is, you talk about don't let sluggish deals clog up your pipeline. And it was sort of a liberating notion. Can you can you explain why people need to be, I guess, more aggressive about clogged up pipelines? Yeah. First of all, if you have a, a pipeline that that's full of all these prospects and a bunch of them are stuck, you're carrying a huge cognitive burden around. You're, th- you're thinking, I need to get back to him. I should follow up. And, and so there's literally a burden that you have. And most people don't realize that. And they think, oh, you know, I'm, I should be hearing from them or I should be getting back to them or what, I don't know what to do with them. And so to be realistic with yourself, to just take a look at everybody that isn't moving and to try to find the root cause of why they might not be moving. And to me, that's really important. And then to reach out and to try to do something proactive to get them moving. But to to me, it's also about finding out when, <laughs> I don't know if I talk about this in the book too, but to me, it's also about finding out why they're getting stuck so you can get better at whatever, you know, stupid thing you're doing that is causing them to get stuck. And you, inadvertently, you talk about, be, you got to be brutally honest with yourself. Yeah. A lot of problems might be your own doing. Yes. I mean, the reality of it is one of the biggest issues that I see deals get clogged is that the client hasn't decided that the investment and change is worth it. To me, that is without a doubt the biggest issue. And more deals are lost to that than anything else. Salespeople will think, you know, that, well, they were interested. They told me, you know, but they're not getting back to me. The biggest reason that most people don't close is because they don't think it's worth it. And they stay with the status quo because they're crazy busy. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like they're the same as us. And so, once you start recognizing that if they just say, well, we decided it's not important at this time, or we decided that something else was a higher priority, you have to take a look at yourself and say, what do I need to do to improve in this area to help them understand why it's worth it to change right now? Mm-hmm. And that goes back to how you're selling. There's a section that says, uh, you got to talk about tough stuff. Yeah, you do. <laughs> um, one of my a sales trainer friend of mine, he has this expression he always says, which is, "Hey, no is my second favorite word." 
Yeah, I know. I mean, you'd rather know. You really would rather know. It's okay to get, you know, talk tough stuff with prospects yeah. and to really find out what's really going on. And, you know, we want to hope that they're going to turn into something, but every hope that we're carrying around prevents us from going after um, somebody who is, you know, a better opportunity for us. Or it's preventing us from understanding what sales skills we need to improve upon in order to increase our effectiveness. Yeah, that it, it, there's a, as you said, it's a cognitive burden, but it's also a way that we are sweeping things un, under the rugs. Yep. Hoping, you know, it's like people who deal with medical problems by trying to ignore them. Oh, that really helps, doesn't it? <laughs> I, apparently not. I had always thought that might work. <laughs> but yeah. So, well, uh, we'll start to wrap up. If readers took only one thing away from the book, Jill, what would you hope it would be? That they can regain control of their day. They don't have to be working like they're exhausted anymore. I mean, there are options and they're not horrible, but we ha- we're caught in an addictive cycle. We don't know it and we can break free. Mm-hmm. And they can understand that it's uh it's 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 not so much about them it's it's their environment and their uh, yeah and the way their brain's working that there's a reason for that yes. feeling yes. and i i would also uh, just to add to your point if they are feeling that way that's a a symptom of of a problem that needs to be examined yes. right it's it's not a deficit it's just a symptom it's like oh this is data data mhm and data's now, good <laughs> it's it's like it's like the military having night vision goggles. It's there if you want to look at it. Yeah, yeah. At the uh, end of the book, in Appendix Three, you have a section books worth reading, and it's, there's there's twenty nine of them. Are there? I have no <laughs> idea what's there. <laughs> I count. I counted them up. Okay, Jill. When you're the host of the Marketing Book Podcast, you, you focus on trivia like that. But the next question I want to ask is, what books have inspired your working career? So you don't need to go through those twenty nine. And those were actually uh, very much related to this book. But what books have inspired your working career? And I should say, when I've asked this from some other guests, they've mentioned your books. Oh. How fun is that? You know who it was <laughs> specifically that comes to mind? Trish Bertuzzi. Oh, wow. That's cool. That's cool. Not fun to hear that. What books have influenced me? Well, one book that had a huge impact on my career was, I think it was Making Major Sales by Neil Rackham. Oh, and, yeah. and The author was, of Spin. The author Sally. of Spin Selling. Spin Selling was good, too, and it had a major effect because it helped me be successful early in my sales career. But Making Major Sales, I think, had one or two paragraphs in there about product launches and how top sales performers acted different at launch time. And they didn't go rushing forward to their clients or prospects with, oh, I got to tell you about this new thing. And that was, I recognized myself in the top performers there. I had a whole different approach to product launch. And I literally set up a consultancy that for 15 years, I worked with companies on product launch and how to jumpstart new products in the marketplace. And it was a, it was a huge, I mean, it changed my career. I mean, I went from focusing on, you know, helping people with just sales training to say, no, we're going to look at product launch and we're going to look at what your salespeople need to do to get out of the gates fast. Mm. And that was just based on not just the book, but a few paragraphs in the book? It was just a few paragraphs changed my career, sent me spiraling into a 15 year consulting thing that uh, allowed me to work with some of the biggest companies around on, on major product launches. Mm. And, and it was the most fun work I ever had. And then, by the way, it is what I learned in doing that. It was how to quickly immerse myself in learning a company's new product or service, their marketplace, their customers, the, the buyer personas, 
and then how to integrate that into an effective sales thing. And I actually wrote about that in Agile Selling. And that became the impetus for Agile Selling, which is my book on how to get up to speed fast in a new sales position. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, to the listeners, you know, keep reading. You never know when you're going to find a couple of paragraphs that'll uh, really change your yeah. life. Jill, just uh, for the listeners' benefit, there are two articles, there are two things from HubSpot that I'm going to include in the show notes. And one of them is an article that is, don't have time to read Snap Selling? Review these oh. terms. <laughs> yeah. Review these terms yeah. to sound like you did. <laughs> and then they also have a a a sixteen page guide to the number one selling three hundred page sales book, Snap Selling Summarized. So I don't know if they're helping or hurting, but uh No, they had my permission to do all that. Okay, okay. Yeah. But I, I just love the one that it was like uh to make it sound like you actually read the book. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend, you've heard about, or you're looking forward to reading? Um, I have two books sitting in front of me right now that I haven't had a chance to read because I've been so immersed in my own book launch. One is called Persuasion, and mm-hmm. it's by Cialdini, who yes. wrote Inf- I'm looking forward to that because I think it has um, – it has some ramifications for people who sell. And I also have one in front of me that was highly recommended called The 12-Week Year. Oh. And, and it's about how to, rather than looking at a whole year and getting yourself all wrapped up into 2017, it's really about breaking your year down into 12 weeks because you have much more control over it. So I'm looking at that one because I think I might, you know, create some things for people, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, in terms of how they can uh, do more in sales, to me, it's like it's like a stimulant for what I might create. Ooh, that sounds great. Um, we'll make sure to put a link to both of those on the show mm-hmm. notes. Dr. Cialdini was on the Marketing Book Podcast, and we talked uh, about persuasion. Did you? If you liked influence, <laughs> you'll love persuasion, and wow. that's the first book he's written by himself in thirty years. I know it is. That's why I was really excited to order it. I ordered it a while ago. I haven't gotten it sitting here. Mm-hmm. Let me just mention one other that is by a fellow Minnesotan. <gasps> David Hoffeld just wrote The mm-hmm. Science of Selling, mm-hmm. and I had him on the show. And if you're interested in brain science and the reason why brains make the decisions they do as it relates to sales, you will love it. I think you, Jill Conrath, will like that one. Cool. I'll ask him to send you a copy. That'd be nice. <laughs> or maybe he could just drive by and drop it off. I don't know. I, I don't know if he's in the same town or not. But um, good. Well, how can best can listeners learn more about you uh, and your new book? Um, I'm going to give you two answers. My, certainly, my website is wonderful, JillConrad.com. Tons of free resources there. But let me just say, I've got something else that's kind of fun that I'm doing right now, um, and and it's a seven um, video course that I'm putting out, and. All people have to do, and it's about the book, you know, it's about testing and trying little things. It's called My More Sales, Less Time Challenge, and it's it's about the book. There's intro, then five little things that you can try to see if they make a difference in how you're working, and um, and then a, a, a summary video. But it all people have to do, if they want to sign up for this course, is they have to text me at 44144. That's 44144. Just text the word sales to 44144 and boom, you'll get started in that course and we'll just send you those videos and it'll be fun. It's a way to test it. Well, Jill, just because we've been talking about mindfulness and being free of distractions, for this entire interview, I have not had my phone in my hands. Ooh, look at you. (laughs) See, see, let the healing begin. But 
I am going to get it out and text that to you because I want to be one of the one of the first ones. That sounds really cool. I did not know about that. Well, I just I just am launching it. You know, like if you're going to be the first one, you might be the very first one because we haven't even got the email. You know, ready <laughs> okay. to go. So, but by the time this podcast is launched, it'll be there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we'll make sure to include all that stuff in the show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. Put it all together for everyone so they can get everyone to the right place. The name of the book is More Sales, Less Time, Surprisingly Simple Strategies for Today's Crazy Busy Sellers. The author is Jill Conrath. Jill, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. Truly my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And that closes the book on episode 99 of the Marketing Book Podcast. But please don't let the end of this episode be the end of what you can learn about modern marketing. Visit marketingbookpodcast.com for links to all the things we talked about in this interview and free marketing guides from my agency. And while there, make sure to sign up for the Marketing Book Podcast newsletter so you never miss an episode. Every day I hear from listeners like you and I absolutely love it. Here's how to get in touch. Just go to marketingbookpodcast.com and send a message or connect with me on LinkedIn. My name again is Douglas Burdett or send me a tweet at my Twitter handle at marketingbook. And please join us next time for the special 100th episode as we talk with the father of modern marketing, Dr. Philip Kotler, about his new book, Marketing 4.0, Moving from Traditional to Digital. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.